Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I just sent out this tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 And this is by my friends John uh, McCure and Melissa Barclay. They just won an Edward R. Morrow Award for their coverage of the Trinity Lutheran Fire Ch- uh, Church fire. That is a very, very big deal. Um, it is well-deserved. So they're doing that. And like I said, it's for my morning. I scheduled an overdue colonoscopy. So we wonder who is having the better day. Scott Warris says to me, did you say you had the colonoscopy? No, no, no. I, I, I've scheduled it for sometime in early August. No, that's the... Uh, had to make these plans in advance. I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, at noon um, on that Monday morning I'm having a colonoscopy. But I guarantee you it's not going to be here. I just I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but it won't be here. That will be one of those sick days that Good Karma Broadcasting generously gives us. What a what a tough day. There's so much stuff to talk about, national news and local news. Let, let's start with this story last night involving the off-duty Milwaukee police officer who was hit and killed on Capitol Drive. Now, I, 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 it's getting all this attention because it is an off-duty police officer, a guy coming home from work after finishing his shift. And I, what I'm about to say does not in any way, shape, or form, it's not intended to deprecate that. But, you know, here's the reality. These types of incidents happen all the time. They just don't get as much attention as this one is getting because in this case, it was an off-duty Milwaukee police officer. Now, if you haven't been following this, the guy, second shift worker, he's driving home. He's on 60th Street. He's crossing 60th Street um, at Capitol Drive. He's on 60th, crossing Capitol. Um, he has the light. And according to the reports, somebody driving at a high rate of speed, some of the estimates say it might have been as high as 90 miles an hour. I don't know. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 60. Maybe it's 90. Who knows? Blows through the red light, hits the vehicle driven by the off-duty police officer. He's dead. Uh, the, the person driving the car continues to drive off. Um, ultimately, they catch him. He is now in custody. They haven't released any other information except for the fact that the Milwaukee police chief has said the person in custody is 34 years old. He has four prior drunk driving convictions, uh, the most recent one, I believe, in 2017, for which he is on probation. All right. Now, again, without deprecating the, the Milwaukee police officer involved, here's the thing we need to remember. First of all, this kind of stuff happens on a regular basis, and it can happen to any of us. It could happen to you. It could happen to your spouse. It could happen to your kids. This is what goes on on a regular basis on the mean streets of Milwaukee. You have people. My guess is this guy was drunk. I, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, but it doesn't matter. He shouldn't have been behind the wheel of an automobile in any circumstance, and he shouldn't have been going through a red light, and he shouldn't have been speeding. And like I say, my guess is with this history, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, he was probably blind drunk as well, but we don't know that for sure. 
All we know is that somebody is dead. Now, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. We work on Capitol Drive. Our studios right now are located on the east side on Capitol Drive and Humboldt. As a matter of course, I refuse to drive Capitol Drive. I, I, I just, I don't. Now, I, I won't say that I've never done it because sometimes it's the only way to get where you're going. But I go circuitous routes because my experience driving Capitol Drive um, by our station, and it gets worse as you get further west, is that it is like the Wild West. You have cars that are driving at high rates of speed. You have cars that are driving um, darn near up on the sidewalks, weaving in and weaving out, blowing through stop signs, blowing through traffic lights. You really, in my opinion, take your life in your own hands to the point that I have kind of made this decision that as a general rule, I'm not getting anywhere near Capitol Drive because I think it is just fundamentally unsafe. The fact that it's always under construction doesn't make it any easier. But here you have now somebody, again, killed because of this irresponsible behavior. Well, there's so many different things to talk about, but l- let's talk about why we tolerate this in the first place. Now, the police chief said the guy who was responsible for this Four prior drunk driving convictions, which probably means he'd been driving like 400 times because they don't catch you every time you drive drunk. But here's the deal. I have in my hands the penalty for fourth offense drunk driving conviction. Um, The penalty, let's see, it is a felony, 60 days in jail to six years in jail. Obviously, this guy didn't get anything close to six years in jail. Then, of course, you are um, put on probation. Your driver's license is is your driver's license is revoked for two or three years, plus the length of your confinement. So my guess is don't know for sure. But my guess is if the guy's last conviction was 2017, um, he, he does not have a valid license. My guess is he's driving on a revoked or a suspended license if he ever had a license in the first place. And then it goes on and on. But the bottom line of this is it, it's a slap on the wrist. And it wasn't enough to stop this guy from getting behind the wheel of an automobile, driving when he shouldn't, blowing through a red light at one something or whatever in the morning, and killing someone. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that, okay, you can stay, you can have one too many beer at the beers at the fish fry and, and, and make make the mistake, and I understand some people criticize me for using that language, but it's intentional. You know, okay, you have the one too many beer at the fish fry, you get behind the wheel of a car. All right, you're slightly over the limit. All right, I understand why you can call that a mistake. After you have been convicted four times, and you are still driving, and you are presumably drunk, we, we you should not be in a position to do that. And I guess my question is, when are we going to say enough is enough? And after the second or the third offense, when are we going to start putting people in prison for meaningful periods of time? When are we going to start doing things like taking their cars so they can't get behind the wheel of a car? How much more of this carnage are we going to put up with before we say to the legislatures, for the love of God, stop? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, I just think that it's about time that the judges get a backbone. Mm-hmm. And 
every news article about cases such as these should indicate the names of the judges who handed down these light sentences. Yeah. It's like double secret probation. Yeah. Well, you know, and, 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 and believe me, I'm not defending the judges by what I say now, but th- this is commonplace. They're all like this. This is just the standard that exists. And I will tell you, Joe, in this case, we'll name names once once we know. They haven't released the name of the guy that was behind the wheel yet. Once that name becomes public, you know, his record will then become public, and we'll be able to see what the judges have done to him. But... We know if the conviction was in 2017 and he's out driving, we know they sure didn't do anything that deterred him from getting behind the wheel of a car. He should still be sitting in prison. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, um, we can't trust the judges to keep us safe, and that's another reason why we need mandatory minimum sentences. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir. No, Joe. We cannot trust the judges to keep us safe. That, well, thank you. Uh, you're, you, are, you are preaching to the choir in some regards. Look, and again, I... I I understand. That's why I started this off, and I always get hostile emails when I say this. But it's why I started this segment off by saying, "Look, I, I I understand somebody staying too long at the fish fry, having one beer too many, and being slightly over the legal limit. And I'm not saying that person needs to be thrown away and warehoused. But all right, after that happens once, it, it's arguably a mistake or an error in judgment. All right, after it happens a second time." After it happens a third time, after it happens a fourth time, it's not a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. You are a career criminal. You want to drink yourself blind. That's between you and your family and your God. But once you get behind the wheel of a car, that makes it everyone else's problem. And that's why we've got to protect society. And like I say, whether it's lengthy or jail sentences or whether it's doing things like I advocate, like taking the cars of these repeat drunk drivers or the people that you find driving without driving driver's licenses with impunity, we, we got to get serious. How many more people are going to have to die before we wake up to this? Let's talk to Maurice in Milwaukee. Maurice, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Joe? Hi, Maurice. Um, you're right in 85% of what you're saying, um, and I was telling your screener that any street at any given time can be dangerous. It ain't mm-hmm. just Capitol Drive, any street. Yep. It's the individual that decides, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start drinking. Yep. Then you say, well, just go down to the store. And you said after the first time, oh, okay, yeah, you see it's a mistake. It's not a mistake if you're aware of the problem. You yep. say, well, if I get behind this car, I mean, if I get behind the wheel of the car, I might hit somebody. Well, then that you're accountable right then and there. Yep. So you should get out of the car. The last thing was, um, yeah, there should be uh, lengthy jail sentences. We don't know what this guy uh, did, his record and all that. But if it's a conviction from 2017, yeah, you should still be in jail. The problem is is the consequence. Yes. If you do something and somebody says, oh, hey, you know what, don't do that anymore. And you go out there and say, okay, fine, I'll do it again. You know, uh, it's, it's a repeat pattern, yeah. and then people get comfortable. It is not, it's not a black-white thing. No. It's not none of that. It's a liquor thing, and it's a choice whether you should say, hey, if I get out here, I might be responsible for killing somebody, or I might get killed. So yes. how do you deter that? You don't take away the car, because I can, you can jump in a car, any car. You don't, you don't take away the license. What does that mean nowadays? Nothing. It, it means what? nothing, no. Or, no. or alternatively, though, Maurice, or you, you impose significant penalties when you catch people for driving without licenses. Because, yeah, I mean, my, my guess is this guy's been stopped a number of times for driving after revocation, and nothing happened. That's just my guess. Right, right. So, I, we, we, let's assume that. And then you say, okay, fine, he gets penalties 
to high heaven, and he never pays it. Right. But he can still go to the local liquor store, borrow a car, get in that, and kill somebody yep. or get killed. Yep. So I believe the answer is incarceration. It needs to be a shock factor. And I'm thinking about uh, our county supervisor, Mr. Abley, and, and that and that instance that he had a problem with. And I'm wondering why he doesn't advocate for more harsher uh Penalties, but that's just my thought. I'm going. Well, to well, thanks to Colbert. I'm not. Uh, thanks to Colbert. I'm, I'm not aware of Chris Abley. Chris Abley's problem was not paying parking tickets. I'm not aware of any drunk driving things or anything like that on Chris Abley's record. Matter of fact, I don't think he has it. But I. But as, as to the larger point here, uh, you're right. I mean, there, there, see, and, and that's that is one of my overarching points. You have to have consequences for bad behavior. And when it comes to issues with regard to reckless driving, we, we don't have consequences. There's no consequences at all for people driving after revocation. There's no consequences for all at all with people for driving without licenses. I mean, you, you give them a ticket, they just laugh at you. You ignore the ticket. And then we have judges in Milwaukee, municipal judges, who are trying to figure out ways to take these bad drivers and make it easier for them to get back their licenses. Well, why? I mean, why bother? They're driving anyways. They just don't care and and then we talk about this when you know somebody gets hit but I, it just, can i see a show of hands my guess is for people who've driven around in the city of milwaukee not just capital drive but can i see a show of hands you know everybody who's seen in the last two weeks some form of reckless behavior the thing i'm talking about driving twice the speed limit blowing through the red lights, blowing through the stop signs, driving in the bicycle lane to pass people. All that type of stuff goes on on a daily basis. Now, thankfully, but for the grace of God, it doesn't result all the time in people dying, but it, it, res- it results a lot of times. What were we looking at the numbers uh, about a week or so ago? The numbers came out about the no- – if, if you wonder why you hear so much attorney advertising, why you hear the, the ubiquitous attorney ads on TV and radio, well, it, it's because in the city of Milwaukee alone, what were the numbers the first couple months of the year? I think they were like 60-plus thousand automobile collisions or something like that. That's because this is happening on a regular basis, and it doesn't always – it's not always the, the multiple drunk driver who doesn't have the license who's blown through the red light and hit and killed the off-duty police officer – but but it's it's going on on a regular basis, and I don't know about you, but I'm just sick and tired of it. Let's talk to Al in Wales. Al, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, hi Al. I want to point finger at uh, someone who I think has a huge influence in this uh, situation, and that's the Wisconsin Tavern League. I have recollection of every any time some legislator tries to do something about this. The Tavern League somehow steps in, and you don't hear anything more about it. I just wonder who they're paying off. Well, uh, well, I mean, I don't know if it's paying off. It, the ta- Tavern League is extremely powerful in Wisconsin, and, you know, they've got legislators who are, are reluctant. I'm, I'm going to give you the other. The other truth is, Al, I mean, almost everybody, you know, knows somebody who's gotten stopped for drunk driving or whatever. And, and, and when it's somebody you know or a friend, well, they're, then you don't want them to be punished so severely. It, it's the other people. So there's pressure on DAs and there's pressure on elected judges not to do the right thing. We just have a screwed up system in general. And I don't know about you, but I'm frustrated with it. Yeah, I still put blame on the Tavern League. Yeah, well, I'm, thank, I, thanks for no, I mean, look, I, I, there, there's, there's no question. The Tavern League, you know, they'll dance around the edges about this, but the Tavern League, 
you know, they, they have not, they're not a fan of, of meaningful drunk driving reform, which might discourage, or the restaurant leg either, for meaningful drunk driving reform, which might really discourage people from going out and having that, not the first drink with dinner, not the second drink with dinner, but it's the fourth and the fifth drink for dinner. Here's a text. Jeff, please don't use my name. My girlfriend got twice with, got caught twice within a three week period. This is for, I presumably drunk driving, never had to go to court. Lawyer was allowed to take care of it. Paid fines and license was suspended. But the laws are a joke. Yeah, the, the laws are a joke. And, and I guess we're, we're talking about it in the way we're talking about it because it was this tragedy this morning where it's an off-duty police officer. And that is a tragedy. But you know, just how many times a week do we have similar sorts of instances where people are under these exact same facts, killed or seriously injured by irresponsible people who are either drunk or shouldn't be on the roads in the first place? And yes, in this case, we'll name names. You know, once the guy's name is out, we'll be able to go back and we'll be able to look at his entire record and we'll be able to figure out whether he was drunk or not this time. And we'll raise these questions. But I'm getting sick of just asking these questions. I'm wondering when somebody in Madison is going to wake the heck up and say it's time to do something about this. Seriously, how many more people have to die? This is Jeff Wagner. It's Russ and Laura from Decade Pro, the power in power washing. And your soft washing experts for over 20 years. We see those black streaks on your roof. We see the grungy green stuff growing on your siding. We see Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, just wrapping up our last conversation, a couple texts. Jeff, I was arrested for DUI 10 years ago. I have never done it again. It was scary and humiliating, and I'm glad it was. Yeah, see, that, that that's the thing. That That's why, I, I see, for most people, you, you do that once. You have that happen to you once. You drive a little bit over the limit, and, and you're going to learn your lesson. And, and do there need to be consequences? Yes, there need to be consequences, and, 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 and there are. Right. But I'm not saying you need to throw the book at everybody who does it that first time. But if people don't learn from it and you do it a second time and then certainly if you do it a third time and then surely if you do it a fourth time and you're still back out and you're driving a car. Yeah, it's fair to say what's been going on here and why are you out on the streets? Very, very frustrating. Um, Jeff, this is Marika from downtown. I grew up in Finland. You get caught once for drunk driving. You lose your license. You go to jail. You're done. If you drive, you're, you're done. If you drive, if you drive, you do not drink, period. Well, I, I don't know that I, I don't go that, that far, but at the same time, um, I, I do think Again, you, you can make you can have a situation that makes room for that honest mistake, but then recognizes where there's a problem. Here's a text. Jeff, my stepson got his seventh OWI in January of 2018. He is being released this August because of some early release program. I am furious. Seven convictions for OWI, and the guy is out in, do the math, like 16 months. I mean, 18 months, whatever that would be, because of early release. And you know, just as sure as night follows day, that that person's probably going to be drinking and behind the wheel of a car within the next year or two. And hopefully, hopefully the cops will pull him over and catch him before he blows through a stop sign and kills somebody as well. It's just, 
it, this, if I sound exasperated, it's because I, I am. All right. Speaking of exasperated, this this story about Northridge, and I I am passionate about this because I grew up in this area. I remember what Northridge was. And for those of you who might have moved here in the last twenty years, you kind of say, "What Northridge? That 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 dilapidated, falling down thing that they've got out on on Seventy Sixth and Brown Deer Road? Why do people keep talking about that?" Well, we keep talking about it because there was a time in the seventies and eighties when Northridge was not this dilapidated, dilapidated, falling down, blighted eyesore. It was a thriving community, shops and movie theaters and restaurants and, you know, people going out there and, you know, you'd go out there at Christmas time and you wouldn't be able to find a parking space. It was so busy. And now it, it is what it is. Well, you will remember we, people have been trying to come up with one development idea after the other for that. And it's it, nothing's working. Part of the problem right now is most of the Northridge Shopping Center is owned by this Chinese company called U.S. Black Spruce Enterprise Group. They bought the property out of foreclosure a number of years ago, and they rolled out these grandiose plans that I think anybody with the common sense that God gave a goose would have realized wasn't going to happen. But they were going to take this huge property, and the idea is we're going to turn this into an Asian trademark where we will feature products from Asia and we'll have um, uh, different you know, suppliers that will come to buy there and it'll be open to the public, et cetera, et cetera. It was an idea that I, I have friends who are in the shopping center industry who understand retail and stuff. From the beginning, they said this just isn't, wasn't going to work. So they rolled this out a number of years ago and then did nothing with it. Well, the problem is when you have a giant building that, that sits vacant, for year after year after year. What happens to the building? Well, it starts to fall apart. In the case of Northridge, it was even worse than that because this dilapidated building that was just vacant, essentially, it became a target for thieves. People would break in there and steal copper piping and steal any anything that you could literally take out of it because it was just in complete and total neglect. And this Chinese company, they just didn't do a damn thing about it. So finally, the city, recognizing that this is blighted property, decided that they wanted to move in and they, they wanted to they, they want to condemn it. They want to tear it down, and then once they have the vacant land, hopefully they'll try to find some manufacturer, put some light manufacturing in or something like that. The the Chinese group, then suddenly, you will remember this about a month ago, comes up and says, no, 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 wait a second, here, look. And what they do is they they, they roll out, like I'm sure the plans cost them 1000 or $2,000. They roll out these fancy plans showing what this Asian trademark's going to look like, and then they distribute them to the TV, the TV stations, and the gullible reporters, they run out and they've got these great looking drawings and plans and they go to people in the area and they say, look, wouldn't you love this? And everybody goes, oh, that looks really cool. Well, okay, that was just a variation of what these people were doing a decade ago and they haven't done a darn thing on it. I I mean, again, I was talking to one of my very close friends who knows everything there is to know about shopping centers. I said, I'm just kind of curious, Mark, what do you think about this? And he's like, well, I can't say what he said to me on the on the air. I can't say what he said. But let me suffice to say, it, it's just this is all this like giant shell game to try to stall stuff. So, the latest development 
Well, it now turns out that this Chinese company that has owned the mall for years and years, according to the journal Sentinel, not only haven't they done anything with the property, not only have they let it fall into neglect, but they owe $175,000 on overdue property taxes. All right, so they, they, they stopped paying their property taxes on this thing as well. So I guess my comment is anybody who believes that this this Chinese group that's been sitting on this property for years and years and now has these really fancy drawings that they're serious about doing anything. Um, again, as I often say, be sure to duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt. Yeah, there are $175,000 in the hole for for property taxes. Um, I I don't know what the end game is. That's what I can't figure out. I mean, I, I maybe they're they're trying to cut some sort of deal where if they agree not to fight the demolition and the city taking this over, the city forgives a property tax debt or something like that. I don't know what the end game is, but it's very very clear that you know nothing is going to happen on that property till the city takes it over. Interesting side note in the Journal Sentinel story is that. Um, Bill Penzi of Penzi Spices, who is a big-time lefty, who sends out the monthly newsletter just ridiculing Republicans and talking about how Republicans are just destroying the state and this country, he owned the Boston store property. His company owned the Boston store property and ultimately ended up just giving it back to, to the city. They just gave it back to the city. Journal Sentinel reports that uh, the Penzi Investment Group that owned that building, they've got an overdue property tax as well. They owe $34,000. So, okay, now, Bill, if you're going to rip conservatives in that monthly newsletter, you know, maybe you want to pay your property taxes. That might give you a little bit more credibility, says they owe 34000 And as long as we are talking about paying taxes, the most bizarre story of the week, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but... The very public Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes and Lieutenant Governors make a bunch of dough, make a bunch of dough. Uh, Mandela Barnes, well, he's um, he owes the city what over two grand in delinquent property taxes from the property tax two thousand two hundred and twenty five dollars in property taxes, interest and penalties on the condo that he lives in. This is the Lieutenant Governor. So the media goes to Tony Evers and says, hey, well, they didn't say it quite this way, but essentially the message is, hey, the lieutenant governor is a deadbeat. What do you think? And uh, the governor then correctly says, well, I haven't seen him, so I haven't talked to him. But if he owes the money, he owes the money and he should pay it. Um, yeah, that's 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 probably a pretty good idea. Barnes, yes, he should probably just pay it. Now his latest statement is the check is in the mail. So we we will see. But bottom line is you would think that if you're going to run for political office, and certainly after you get elected for that political office, if you owe a couple if you owe a couple grand in taxes, you should pay that couple grand in taxes. Hmm. So lots of different tax deficiencies. The company run by Bill Penzi and the old Boston store property, the Chinese investors group, and Mandela Barnes. I don't know. At least uh, the Chinese group isn't saying that the check is in the mail. All right, stick around. Lots more coming up. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in the next hour of the program,
starvation wages. What exactly does that mean? President Trump gears up for a huge rally tonight. He's going to be announcing that he is running for re-election. It's going to be an amazing spectacle, and we will talk about that horrible story out of Racine. The suspect in the shooting of the off-duty police officer is still at large. There is a major league manhunt going on. There's going to be an update, I think, at 1 o'clock, and we will certainly dip into that press conference as well. All right. Story out there today about how both the Donald Trump campaign and the Hillary Clinton campaign owe supposedly a couple communities money for services. In this case, in the Trump campaign, it's Eau Claire and Green Bay and uh, the Clinton campaign, the same cities. What they did is the Trump campaign in 2016 and the Clinton campaign had campaign events in the cities. The cities, because they provided extra security, you know, in the case of the Trump campaign, there were all these protesters out, so the police needed to have a higher police presence, etc., to try to, you know, do crowd control and things like that. And so what Green Bay and Eau Claire did is they sent the the campaigns, they sent them bills. They sent the Trump campaign $56,000 in bills uh, for overtime, etc. The Clinton campaign got billed about 18000 Neither campaign ha- has paid these. There was no contract for reimbursement. By that I mean it's not like in advance the campaigns agreed that they would pay the communities the money for police overtime or, or whatever. Many communities... Do not charge. I mean, a public official, you know, comes to town and, you know, has an event. Well, all right, if the police, if you need extra crowd control or you need traffic stuff, it's just assumed to be part of the job. Now, Eau Claire and Green Bay were trying to get paid, and at least for these particular instances, that they haven't. The campaigns have not paid them. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if a political campaign comes to a community, all right, Trump is having a big rally in Orlando today. Lots and lots of people are coming out for that. Now, obviously, you know, the Trump campaign has its own internal security, and they've got to rent the venue and things like that. But if if because it's the president or it's the secretary of state and they're coming and having a big campaign rally and so you need traffic control and these other things all right should the city provide that or should the campaigns have to pay for it 4147991620 and take it outside the context of a campaign what if it's just I don't know, the president coming from Milwaukee to give a speech. You got to close down the freeways. You got to do all these things. I mean, should the president, should the campaign, should the government, should the White House have to pay for the extra police that it takes when the president makes a visit? 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, Frank and O'Connor. Frank, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, I think that if it's a campaign, they should pay uh, for the visit or at least pay uh, a, a substantial amount to cover the cost of those security services. I agree with you. Uh, I think you said if the president is coming in to give a policy speech or right. s- some other type of visit, 
uh, then that's the price of uh, doing business, so what to if, speak. But, what if the president, he's making that policy speech, but he's also, as they almost always do, having a fundraiser before or after? Does that change it? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think uh, if the president just flies in to give a policy speech and, and leaves, then the you know the community is uh, and the supporting security services are on the hook. But uh, once I think you hit fundraising or campaigning, then the campaign uh, needs to pay. And the reason why I say that is because with Wisconsin, it's a battleground state. They're here all the time. Like they're, they, this isn't just going to be a one-off visit. Oh, they're they're oh, going to be in and out of here a lot. Okay, then let me ask you the other question. Democratic National Convention coming to Milwaukee in the summer of 2020. Should any public money be used to pay for security costs, or should well, that be picked up exclusively by the Democrats? I, I believe, and, and I, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that there is specific funding, whether that comes in from either the RNC or the DNC, depending on which convention it is, or some federal dollars that are automatically allocated to those venues. Well, you are right. There are there are federal grants. Thanks. You know, you're, 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 Frank, you're right. There, there are federal grants um, that, that are supposed to be used to pay for security. So it is public dollars that, that go for this. Um, that at City Hall, they say there's not going to be any extra money that's going to be expended on this. We'll see. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Interesting press conference with the mayor of Racine and uh, Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth. A, a couple thoughts. There, there's, there's a number of comments I have about this, but I think today's not the appropriate time to make them. I think this is one where... It, it is in our interest to allow more facts to emerge in the death of the Racine police officer. Apparently he's off-duty in this, this tavern. Uh, somebody comes in um, with – and you can see the picture. They've, they've made the picture. He, he's masked. He gets behind the bar. He's in the course of robbing it. And then you have the officer who you – know, they're on duty 24-7. The officer who, while seeing a crime in progress, decides he's going to try to thwart it. The uh, breaking news was that he apparently jumped over the bar – got into a struggle with the armed, masked suspect. And at one point in time, as they described, the suspect was able to get some distance and, and shot and, and killed the um, off-duty officer. I guess there, there's a, a couple things that come to mind just, just initially. And like I say, as, as more facts emerge, maybe we'll discuss this. First of all, think of that the story about a week and a half ago or so when you had the police officer who has now not only been fired, but he's been charged essentially with cowardness, with neglect of duty at that school shooting down in Florida. Remember, he, he's the school resource officer. He's on the scene. There's an active shooting situation. And instead of confronting the shooter, the police officer retreats and essentially allows the shooter to kill a number of um, students that are in that building. Like I say, he's now been charged with neglect of duty for essentially – being a coward, which is what happened. Contrast that with with what apparently happened last night, where you have an off-duty police officer who's watching a crime in progress, and rather than cowering, decides he's going to do whatever he can to try to stop it. You know, that's what makes that story from you know, a couple of weeks ago out of Florida so unusual, because 
to be a police officer, you are a special breed of man or woman. There, there's no question about it. Just like other sorts of first responders, we overuse it, but but it's it's a cliche in part because it's true. It is those first responders. It is the law enforcement officers. It is those folks who are running one way when everybody else is running the other. So in the situation last night, you have this police officer who's watching this crime in progress and decides that he's going to do what he can to try to stop this and he goes over the bar gets in a struggle with the suspect and ultimately ends up costing him his life but it shows the character of the men and women who choose law enforcement that you know they're they're there to protect everyone else so that's instance number one number two i will be fascinated once they catch this murderer and they will catch him i mean i I can't promise you it's going to be this afternoon or tomorrow or or thursday but they're going to catch him there's no question about it he will be brought to justice but one of the things that i will be interested to see is what was what was this shooter's criminal record and once again why was he out on the street now it may very well be that you had somebody who had no contact with the criminal justice system at all who woke up yesterday and decided today's the day i'm going to i don't know garb myself all in black i'm going to get a ski mask i'm going to get grab a gun and i'm going to walk into a tavern and i'm going to hold it up at gunpoint all right it, it could have been that this was just the first time that this guy had any sort of contact and he thought like that my guess and it is just a guess because we don't know who the shooter was my guess when they catch him what we're going to see is somebody with a lengthy criminal record somebody perhaps on paper in some form or another that would be parole or probation somebody clearly not legally entitled to carry a gun and somebody who probably should not have been out on the street that is just my guess now again i'm I'm willing to be corrected on that once they ultimately catch the officer's murderer but my guess is we're going to be having a conversation the next couple days about why was this person out on the street in a position to be able to commit this crime in the first place. Like I say, it might have been his first time at the rodeo, but I would bet you all the money in my pocket versus all the money in my producer Gru's pocket, and he does not carry cash, that I'm right, and that this is somebody that has a lengthy criminal record who probably shouldn't have been out on the street. But time will tell for that. But again, I think the, the... it's a very sad story, and the uptake on it is, again, you have a police officer who's a hero. He could have turned the other way, and instead of cowering in fear, what he did is he tried to do his job, which is to, uh, again, apprehend the bad guy and try to you know, see that he was brought to justice and stop the situation. And in order to do that, it ended up costing him his life. More details on that to come. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Drew, producing the show today and always. You know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, correct? I do. She is the very, very... 
left-wing firebrand congresswoman who, former bartender, 29 years old, I believe, elected uh, elected from New York, and she is the, the face of the, the sort of far left wing of the Democratic Party, which is, you know, that, that, that's well and good. But, you know, she's been the one who's trying to set the agenda coming out with, like, their Green New Deal and things like that. Well, she's taken on Amazon. Uh, the, the head of Amazon, CEO of Amazon, is a guy named Jeff Bezos, who is a, a multi-billionaire, owns the Washington Post, not a conservative in and of itself. And that's what makes this so interesting. But she, this would be Ocasio-Cortez, has gone after Amazon, complaining about how they pay starvation wages. I'm sorry, but I don't think companies have an obligation to do more than what Amazon is doing for their employees. Now, let me back into this. Last, uh, yesterday, we were talking, we were doing a minimum wage topic, and I was talking about how how automation is taking over. And for a lot of these places, you, you jack the minimum wage up to 15 bucks an hour, and all the owners are going to do is they're going to, they're, they're just going to replace, they're going to replace the employees with machines. That That's just, I think, the reality. And it's already starting to happen. You raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour for fast food workers, it's going to increase that. And I had an interesting email saying, well, I, this is, you know, we, we need to essentially, we need to redistribute the wealth. I mean, you, you shouldn't, you know, employers have an obligation to pay whatever it takes to their employees so they can have a sustainable lifestyle. Doesn't matter if the job's worth $10 an hour. If you need $20 an hour to live, the employer should have an obligation to pay you $20. That's what the argument the texter made. All right. So, uh, the congresswoman goes after Amazon. She says, hey, you know, Amazon workers, that they are being paid starvation wages, to which Amazon fires back, and they say, wait a minute. Here's the deal. All our starting employees make at least make $15 an hour. Uh, you know, any Amazon employee working at these warehouses, they make 15 bucks an hour to start. It goes up from there. The minute they are hired... They are eligible for health insurance. They are eligible for a 401k plan. They are eligible for, what's the program? They've got a college assistance. They've got an education program where after a certain amount of time, the employees are eligible for a 95% reimbursement of their education expenses. So the folks at Amazon are saying, hey, this isn't starvation wages. You know, we're paying, sustain. it's 15 bucks an hour. And we've got all these benefits. We're giving you we're, we, employees get health insurance. Employees get 401ks. This is a, a good place to work for entry level jobs to which she fires back. All right, Amazon, here's the deal. If you have somebody who's working full time at $15 an hour and you can do the math on this, it translates into a little over $31,000 a year. Right? Follow me on the argument. $31,000 a year under federal standards. If you have a family of four and you're making $31,000, you are probably going to be eligible for food stamps, probably. You know, it kind of varies depending on the area, but but that's going to be close. Family of three, it's $27,000. Family of four, it's probably going to be close. So if you're making $31,000, even with all these benefits, you're going to be eligible for food stamps. So the argument that the congresswoman makes is – you know, if you have a successful company 
And it's one of those deals where, you know, even working full time, you still need food assistance. Well, then it's a starvation wage and Amazon should be ashamed of itself. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Entry-level jobs at Amazon, $15 an hour. Health benefits, health insurance. You've got the educational benefit. You've got a 401K. All right, is that starvation wages? Should Amazon be, I don't know, apologizing because you're only getting $31,000 a year? And I say only in quotation marks. Do they have an obligation to do more? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Is Amazon taking advantage of people? Is Jeff Bezos, has he made himself a billionaire on the backs of the, the poor people who aren't compensated fairly? Armando in Green Bay. Armando, you're on WTMJ. Hello. I'll tell you what, $15 an hour with health insurance is probably like an $18, $19 an hour job. Right, and a 401K and and an educational benefit. So if you want to go to school to better yourself, they essentially pay for it. Yep. Exactly. And in Wisconsin, and we have an Amazon place here, that's a great wage. And it's a starting wage. Uh, well, right, 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 exactly. Plus, it, it's, it's going to go up. Now, her, her argument is, okay, it, 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 that, it averages, it's about $31,200 a year at 15 bucks an hour. And she says, well, for a family of four, if you're making $31,000, you will probably qualify for food stamps. But of course, that assumes that, you know, there's only one person in the family that, that's working. You know, if you've got a two-income family, well, you're, you're not going to qualify for any of that. I mean, I guess I, I just don't see this as being a starvation wage. And exactly. If, if the spouse has a $60,000 job, uh, wait your job, I mean, you're making some good money. Um you know, I tend to vote Democrat, but I am really sick of her. <laughs> yeah, no, well, well, it is. It, it's. I mean, it, it's this whole idea of socialism, and and her ideas. And look, and, and Jeff Bezos is a lefty too. He's a liberal, too. and so it. But it's like, okay, here you have this guy who's incredibly successful because he came up with this idea of Amazon, and it's exploded, and now he's really, really rich. And we should resent him because he's really, really rich. Well, I'm, I mean, he built a better mousetrap. That's what America's all about. It seems and- to me. He's actually doing a good job with his workers, and she can't see that because she's right in her New York crystal ball. And uh, please, please don't give her a mouthpiece anymore. <laughs> right? No, no. Thanks for well. You know, and it's interesting. She's taking a lot of heat because they wanted to build a, a big Amazon facility in her district, and she was instrumental in killing it. She was going after him and after him, and finally they said, okay, fine. She's in trouble in her district now because a lot of her constituents are going, wait, wait a minute, you know, you led this charge against Amazon, and, you know, th- this was going to be bringing a lot of really decent jobs, and it starts at $15 an hour, and you've got benefits, and you've got all this other stuff, and, and you just turned your nose up to it. I mean, see, that's that's what is frustrating about this, but that's where we are in politics nowadays because you have some people who decide, well, well, we get to decide and we should be deciding what a living wage is. Well, uh, here's the bottom line. A, a wage in a free market. Now, if you're a socialist, 
and you believe that capitalism is bad and that everybody should be paid the, the same thing, regardless of their jobs or their abilities, well, you're not going to agree with this. I understand that. But, but you know, in a free market, in a free market, employers should pay what it takes to find somebody to do the job at the particular skill level. And, and in the case of Amazon, I'm, I'm, I don't argue that the people don't work hard, but, you know, it, it's essentially it's an entry level job. So what, what do you say? Because Jeff Bezos is successful and he's made a bunch of money, he should take a job that's worth $15 an hour. And I say worth $15 an hour because that's that's what you have to take to find people who are qualified and willing to do the job. Well, you should take them and you should pay them 20 or $25 an hour, even though the job is only worth 15. Why? Oh, oh, well, you should do it because it's out of the, it's out of the good of, of, of your heart. You know, you, employers shouldn't pay people stuff that, you know, if there's, a, again, if it's a family of four and there's only one breadwinner, you could still qualify for food stamps. They're, you're paying them starvation wages. No, you're paying them 31 grand a year and you're giving them benefits. And yes, maybe that means that, you know, if mom is working, well, that maybe that means that dad needs to go out and get a job as, as well. But you're getting health insurance benefits. I mean, if you want to pick on different places, my guess is you can find a lot of places other than Amazon to go after. Let's talk to Mark and Racine. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Mark. You know, I, I, I know that it's not just Bezos, but uh, it's, a, it's an overall problem that, that of wages in the last 40 years. I don't know what can be done about it, but one thing is you're mentioning the $15 an hour that he's paying now. He just recently went to that. Yep. I, haven't done, I live down in the Kenosha Racine area. It was twelve fifty until recently. Right. If you, do, if you do the math, you know, you're looking at $500 a week. After taxes, you're looking at $400 a week. You're looking at $1,600 a month. I'm just going to say on, a, on, on one person living on that, you look at rents down here in the Racine Kenosha area, the cheapest apartment buildings, you're looking at eight, 900 a month. I see people twelve, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 a month for rent. You know, you can be smart, you know, have multiple people renting it into a house and things like that to try to save. And I get that they're just entry-level jobs and that you've got to try to get to the next level. But I made nine fifteen an hour in 1979 at American Motors. Now, granted, it's unskilled labor. There are no unskilled labor jobs anymore that pay that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff, so what do you think that? the answer, though, is, Mark? I mean, if if you've got a labor force that the the, 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 the fair market value of the job, let's say it's 1250 or let's say it's 15 bucks, you know, whatever it is, if, if that's the fair market value, that is, that's how much you have to pay to get qualified, competent people who will do the job, what, what is the answer? Do you think the employers then should pay 20 or 25 or $30 because uh, we, we just we want to be benevolent to the employees so they can have more money? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, There's so many facets to this, but I wonder why I keep seeing these things that say that Amazon hasn't paid any taxes in the last few years using i'm sure they're using creative accounting and they're doing it all legally but why is that happening and all those things kind of meld together where the worker doesn't have representation and can't get past that i think on an individual basis you'll have you have to do things like say costco starts at 20 bucks an hour make sure you get in at costco well, i mean but, and, and that's what a, i mean mark i mean that that's that's what the free market is all about and 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 that's 
That's fine. I will tell you, and I, I, I tell the story before. I have a, I have a relative, I have a friend who owns a series of fast food restaurants, owns a lot of fast food restaurants, as a matter of fact, and he will, one of his biggest complaints, minimum wage isn't an issue for him because they can't find people. You know, for minimum wage, they, they, they can't. They pay well above minimum wage, um, and even at that, they, they can't find people that will show up day after day after day. So, I mean, if, if, if part of it is a free market thing, if Costco is paying twenty dollars an hour, it's not because Costco has decided that oh gee, we want to we want to be benevolent and we want to give people more than the job is worth. It's because Costco has decided that to get qualified people who can do the job and will show up and will, you know, the kind of employees that we want, we've got to pay $20. And and that's, see, that's what the fair market is all about. And if it turns out that Amazon, for example, 15 bucks an hour isn't enough to get the type of workers they need to do this work. Well, yes, then they're going to have to up their, their salaries. They're going to have to up what they pay, um, to, to do that. And, and that, that's fine. That, that's a free market. Now, the rest of us end up having to pay for it. What I object to, though, is this idea that, you know, we should have a government or a particular politician or somebody else who comes in and says, well, I, I think $15 an hour is a starvation wage. Now, are, are, are you going to be taking, you know, two-week vacations at Cancun on $15 an hour? No, but it's an entry. It's an entry-level job. And if you're looking at a family of two, you know, you've got a husband and a wife, and you're both making thirty grand a year, that translates into sixty grand. A year. Are you getting, and you got to pay taxes, that's right, but are, are you getting rich on that? No, but it, it seems to me you should be able to rent an apartment or something like that. But the bottom line is it's an entry-level job. You, you use it to get experience and, and move on. And I look, I have no love for Amazon one way or the other, and I certainly have no love for Jeff Bezos one way or the other, but this idea that, oh, they're paying starvation wages I just I, I reject that. I also reject the idea that it's politicians that get to decide that. Sherry in Kenosha. Sherry, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi I just wanted to clarify one thing you said. I agree with everything you just said, but I have children that work at Amazon, and their benefits are not free. No, they, no. They have to pay their sure. benefits. Sure. And, and I have a son um, that is a higher-level person in Kenosha that um, has two children on his benefits, and he his take-home is $500 every two weeks. And that's, now, after, that's after paying for health insurance and contributing and, to the yes. 401K. Sure, okay. Correct, and it's not... Um, it's not ideal, hmm. um, but he is not an entry-level employee there. And, and again, I agree with everything you said. They're just, I think society today is still factoring society of old. And somewhere along the way, we lost what actual cost, cost of product and cost of living really is. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't your son leave oh so many reasons because he needs health care for his children okay yeah. um um he loves what he does okay um and he's got a mom and dad that support him right. fully in his career choices right. and 
help him along the way. Sure. No, and, and I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck in asking that question, yeah, no, no, but no, it's no, I agree. but but it's it's kind of like you know there. I mean that that's one of the things about this country is that if if the grass is greener and and if for example you're you're in a situation where you think and I know you didn't say you 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 did not suggest that your son felt he was mistreated but you know if you've got some employee that thinks that in, in any job that they're grossly underpaid and they're underappreciated and they can do better somewhere else the the great thing about this country is okay you can say boss I'm out of here and you can go and you can benefit yourself and I, I mean just listen to your son's story I'm sure he'd like to make more money but at the same time my guess is there's a lot of jobs that don't offer health care, for example, and, and, and that, that's a huge benefit. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And um, Kenosha County is really becoming a booming place for employers mm-hmm. with all the jobs that are coming in here. So I do see um, pay scales going up. Um, I work in an industry that... Um, I do human resources work, and I see people leave all the time and come back because the grass is not greener. <laughs> right? No, no, you know? no. That, that, that's always the thing. And and I mean, you make the point. I, I don't think I didn't mean to imply that all the health benefits were free. I don't think there's outside of the public sector, and and maybe not even then too much anymore. You know, most people contribute to your, your health insurance. I know we certainly do here at, at Good Karma. But even having said that, I mean, the reality is in most situations, the employer pays the lion's share of, of, of the health care. I mean, yeah, you, you have to make payments. You know, you have to pay a portion of it. Yeah, you have to pay deductibles and all that. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not arguing that anybody's going to get rich on 15 or $16 an hour. My only point is, you know, 15 or $16 an hour and employer largely paid for or provided health care and all this other stuff, it, it's, all right, are you going to have a Learjet? no. But starvation wages, and this is, you know, the, the evil plantation master who's, you know, making money on the back of the slaves. I, I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't buy into that. I know there is this idea that's out there that the people who have acquired wealth, they're, they're the, this evil rich, and what we have to do is we have to redistribute income in our society. I, I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't buy that. I, I just, I think it's fair to ask people to pay, for example, a fair share of their taxes, but because you've been successful in life because you've built that better mousetrap because you've said hey i'm i'm i've got the idea for amazon i don't think that makes you evil and i don't think it means that you know you should automatically say all right we're gonna we're gonna take away all your money or most of your money and we're gonna redistribute it to people who um don't have it sorry i just don't agree this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj Part of the reason why I refuse to buy into this narrative of, oh, you've you've got these evil entrepreneurs that own the companies is, I guess, I've met over the years a number of these evil entrepreneurs, and I say that in air quotations. See, here's the bottom line. I, I, I don't know if I've just never been that creative. I've always worked for somebody. I've, I've always, whether it was a federal government or journal communications or good karma or a private law firm, I've always worked for somebody. And I, I've done, no complaints at all, I've, I've done well, 
but but there's always been that job security there that every two weeks or twice a month or whatever you know you're you're going to get that check that's put into your account. I, I've always liked that. At the same time, I know a lot of entrepreneurs over the years um, who've been very very successful, and I know a lot who haven't. I mean, I know the guy with the college with the high school degree who buys the convenience store, okay, and goes into debt to buy the convenience store, and he and his wife are working you know 18 hours a, a day, six days a week, and then. They get a little bit of money, and then what they do is they use that to buy, I don't know, the, the first fast food franchise. And, you know, and they're, again, it's the same sort of thing. And they're, you know, they're working the fingers to the bone, and they've got their house mortgage, and there's all this risk. And then that, fan, that, that restaurant takes off, and then they use it to buy some more. And then they create jobs. And the next thing you know, all right, you, you've got a little bit of an empire. But, you know, people, they look and they say, oh, I'm, I'm looking at this empire. You've got all these restaurants, or you've got all these hardware stores, or whatever. Well, they don't see the risk that went into it and all the hard work that went into it. And they somehow think, oh, well, that person, you know, they, they just they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And I'm here to tell you, that's just not that's not what it is for most people. Now, do I understand? You know, there's some people that just inherit stupid wealth. Absolutely. But but that's not the case in a lot of different situations. Texter says we were talking about like benefits. And I think people you know just don't understand in many cases, you know, how benefits work and and how much benefits cost their employers and what a big deal that is. Um, Jeff, UPS gives full benefits. That is at nine months on the job. There's no cost to the employee. Starting wage is also $15 an hour. The reason I know that is because, um, Gru, you will, who's producing the show today and always, we went through a period of time where all our workers – we have here at WTMJ, we have full-time employees, but we also have part-time employees. And many of our part-time employees work second jobs because, well, they love what they do here, and I'm very glad of that. But, you know, they need to work second jobs. I had my first producer, young Dan, he worked he worked at UPS. And, you know, he and one of our other, our morning show producer worked at UPS. All these guys would work at UPS because... It provided benefits, and you know, so young Dan, I remember he would come in to produce my show, and he'd be dragging because at Christmas time he'd been there, he'd be there to like three in the morning, you know, at the UPS facility and stuff like that. But I mean, it, it's it's what you do to to make things go, and and all those people who are working those two jobs, they've gone on and they're having great success and stuff. But it's just, it, it's. You know, if you don't like what you're doing or you think you're being unfairly paid or you think you're being mistreated, the the answer is, okay, if you can do better somewhere else, do better somewhere else. It is a free country. All right, when we come back, I am going against my judgment where angels fear to tread. There is a huge event tonight in Orlando. Matter of fact, I know people who were invited to it. President Trump is going to be announcing that he is running for a second term. I want to talk about that decision. I will explain. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I need you to settle an argument for me. Has there been slippage? Let me back up. Uh, when I go out to dinner with friends... I have one hard and fast rule, and that is that I, I decline to be drawn into political discussions. Believe it or not, I have a lot of close friends who are left-leaning. I have a number of close friends who are right-leaning. And because I make a living, in part, talking about current events, and that means in part about politics, 
for me to go out to dinner and to talk politics is like it's like going to work. And I just I I just don't want to do it. And especially because we've become so polarized in our society, it's just uh, you know you guys talk about whatever you want. How about those brewers? I mean that that's kind of my attitude. All right, but the other evening we were out and I was in a discussion with people of various political persuasions and we were talking yes about president trump now i bring this up because big doings tonight in orlando he's having this huge rally that i believe is going to be televised live on fox news um i think it is at seven o'clock our time i think it's it's going to be something uh, the, this is this is the start, the official launching of the Trump reelection campaign. There's been, I mean, he's been talking about this about how people are lined up to get inside the arena. They started lining up yesterday. It's like you know, people, you know, the Beatles are are reuniting after all these years. And yes, I understand a couple of them are dead, but there are people are camped out outside the the box office to get tickets. And I I know for a fact that there are people because I know some people from Wisconsin that were invited. That the big time Trump supporters from all over the country are being invited to Orlando um, for like special opportunities, and they can watch this thing in special rooms and all. It's going to be it's going to be a it's going to be a big deal. And my intention is, although typically I I don't watch these things, I, I just I have a feeling it's just going to be great theater. So my plan is that I am in fact going to you know probably watch it this evening. But in any event, here. Here, here's the story of the Trump re-election, and this is why I really want an insight from a certain perspective, a certain group of you. Um, there is no question that a number – Donald Trump, unlike in 2016, when he was kind of the anti-Hillary, my analysis of the election in retrospect – and I'm one of the many pundits who didn't see him winning – my analysis of the 2016 election was it was decided as much – on, gee, people wanting to support Donald Trump, the let's drain the swamp, that type of thing, as it was people who were either just anti-Hillary Clinton or apathetic, and so they, they stayed home. In other words, I think the 2016 election was a referendum on Hillary Clinton more so than it was we we love Donald Trump, although I know that there's a certain segment of people who just absolutely love Donald Trump. Well, now as we move towards 2020, that that whole dynamic has changed. Now, clearly, I, I think President Trump has decided that his supporters, his his voters, they're, they're not concerned about like ethical lapses. They're certainly not concerned about his unconventional behavior. Can we all agree that this is an unconventional president? Love him or hate him, it's unconventional. And and I think he's convinced that his supporters, the people who voted for him in 2016, are more committed than ever to, to voting for him. And I think, and this is the conversation that we were having at dinner that I was trying to avoid to talk about politics, but I, I don't think there's any question that for a, a number of Trump supporters, that is in fact the case, that they're, they're more committed than ever towards the, the whole notion of the unconventional president and, you know, he's been picked on by the evil media and, and, you know, we got to drain the swamp, et cetera, et cetera. I also think, though, that there are there are a segment of voters, people who voted for Trump in 2016, who aren't sold on on the reelection idea. 
voted for him for whatever reasons, in many respects, just because what was what we heard in 2016 all the time, it's a binary choice. You got to either be for Hillary or you got to be for Donald Trump. So it was that binary choice. They went with Trump instead of Clinton. That was the, that's what they made. I believe, and one of the people that we were talking about this with at dinner was arguing that, that there's a relatively sizable chunk of Trump voters out there, people who voted for him in 2016, who haven't necessarily drank the Kool-Aid and are, um, again, they're not they haven't decided they're not going to vote for him, but they are put off by some of the stuff that's going on, and they've kind of taken a wait-and-see attitude. This is the conversation that I want to have, and I need – here's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to people who voted for President Trump in 2016. Were you one of those Trump voters? And what I want to discuss with you is, all right, three and a half, four years later – has the president sealed the deal? Are you going to be motivated to go out and vote for him again? Or is it, gee, I, I kind of, I sort of, I'm a little bit disillusioned. I'm bothered by all this other stuff. I want to take a wait-and-see attitude. Maybe I'm even open to voting for somebody on the other side. So I need some volunteers. 414-799-1620. If you were a Donald Trump voter in 2016, I would like to talk to you what are you going to do in 2020? Is it written in stone? Has President Trump sealed the deal with you? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. Please stick around. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. See, see, one of the reasons I find this so interesting is it is my sense, and that's one of the things we're going to explore that over the last couple of years, there has been an erosion. You had people that maybe voted for President Trump in 2016 who aren't so sure about that again. Now, in contrast, Ronald Reagan, who I believe was the greatest president of my lifetime, okay, he, he wins election in, in 1980, and then he sealed the deal. By 1984, when he ran for re-election against Walter Mondale, he had expanded, I mean, he went on to, you know, a landslide victory. He didn't win in a landslide the first time because everybody that voted for him in 1980, they voted for him again, and he had brought a number of people in. That's not the sense of I get of what's going on here. It's not to predict that Donald Trump's going to lose, but I, I think there's people who voted for him in 2016 who he hasn't sold sealed the deal with. Let's start with Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you're first. Yeah, hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, Donald Trump is no Ronald Reagan, that's for sure. But <laughs> um, he's done some really good stuff for uh, bringing people, world leaders, to the table, NATO, and everything, and making it even for America. If he just keep his mouth shut on Twitter, uh, he would be, you know, maybe second to Ronald Reagan, but he's not. And uh, if he doesn't like tone it down, uh, okay. Well, let me ask you the question. I mean, are, are you are, are you sold? Are you going to run through a brick wall to make sure you vote for him again? I have to see what happens in the next year or whatever. But right now, I'm kind of leaning towards. I like what he's getting done, but not the way he's doing it. Okay. No, right, thanks. I mean, I, see, I, I do think that there's. There, there is that factor that's out there. I know a lot of people who are in in that boat. Let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I uh, I agree with you on the fact. I am I voted for Donald Trump. I am a Trump supporter. I agree with you that I think anybody but Hillary could have beaten him in 2016. I think Crazy Bernie would have beaten him. You know, and that was the flaw of the, the Democratic Party. Right. Having having said that. He has fulfilled as many campaign promises as 
anybody in, in recent memory and swimming upstream against the Democrats and the resist and everything mm-hmm. else. The stock market is doing great. He's brought businesses back. Employment is up. And, uh, yeah, he's out there and, and, and crazy, mm-hmm. but he's getting the job done. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like. Okay, so know. so you're, you're in that camp. You acknowledge it's unconventional behavior, but so what? You think he's accomplishing stuff, so you're on board. You're voting for him again. I look at I, I I hire people and fire people, and I don't care you know what you do in your off time. You know if you're getting the job done, that's okay. all that counts. Okay, good enough. Thanks, thanks for going. And, and you, by, by the way, in this segment, you don't have to defend your position one way or the other. It's I I am curious as to what's out there because I. I I spend a lot of time trying to get a sense of where the electorate is. And one of the things that's difficult in politics nowadays is that there's a silent majority out there, and it's tough to figure out where the silent majority is. You you have the people on the on the left who think Donald Trump is the Antichrist, and you know they, they wake up every day trying to figure out, okay, how how can we we got to get him impeached? We we've got to get him out of there. That is the obsession. You have people on the the right who have, and I don't say this in a disparaging way, but they drank the Kool Aid. They say, okay, we don't care if he's unconventional. We don't care if you know there's this ethical is, issues and all. We think he's getting the job done we love him and i think there's a large group of people candidly that's in the middle that we don't hear from a lot who i don't know they're 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 not they they see both sides of this and and that's where the election is going to be won or lost 414-799-1620 steve in allenton steve you're on wtmj yeah hi hi uh jeff i, I, I would agree with the last caller i mean i did vote for trump and i will vote for him again He's a business person. Successful business people are shrewd. That's how business works. And I think when you, what, what my perspective is, I want somebody that's good at administering a business. And our country is as much of a business as mm-hmm. it is a country. I don't elect politicians to be my moral leaders. I find those in my church. Mm-hmm. So you're on board. You you um. So you intend to vote for him again? Okay. Good enough. Okay. Welcome. No, thanks for calling, Steve. And, that, and and again, that this is this is this is more of a survey as I as to we you know where people are. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Well, well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I voted for him in sixteen, and you know, I probably will in twenty. But I'm just, I'm, I guess, I'm disappointed in the fact that um, the way. It seems like he takes one step forward, two steps back. Every mm-hmm. time he does something good, he steps on it. Every single time, it, it goes without fail. And whether or not that's, you know, granted, you can, uh, you know, place it on personality and things like that. But you know, when you when you hold a certain position, you have to be able to keep your personality in check, though. Too. I mean, mm-hmm. just go off. I mean, any good leader will tell you that. You, know, you kind of have to check your toot at the door. Is really what it comes down to. Yeah, but of course he's he's seventy three or seventy four years old. That that isn't going to happen. It, no, it, he, exactly. it is it is what it is right that now. Dog, yeah. yeah, that dog's not changing. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, with without you know, but on the flip side, you know, what's the alternative? Obviously, you don't want to. Right. Uh, none of the Democrats are, are obviously appealing to me at all. 
Right. Well, yeah, that, that's what I keep saying to, to people. I said, well, it, it, they, they, they ask me, okay, Jeff, you were wrong in 2016. Everybody's got to point that out. Yes, I was wrong in 2016. I fess up. But, and they, they say, well, what do you think? You know, is, is he going to, can you guarantee he's going to win? No. Can you guarantee he's going to lose? No. I said, a lot of it, I think I'm with you. It does depend who the Democrats nominate. If, if you nominate an avowed socialist, you know, like a Bernie well, that, Sanders, yeah, that's not going. That's going over like a fart in church. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the the yeah. I mean, well, but but that's a realistic possibility. I mean, you you nominate somebody from the far left wing of the party, and and I think it changes the whole dynamic because I don't think. I don't think the country is there yet. Now you you nominate a more centrist Democrat. That's a different you know. That's a different yeah, but discussion. I mean, who do they have that's centrist other than you know Biden? Biden. And Biden's like four thousand years old. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. kind of like I mean, really, I, I just I don't not, I don't think he can garner enough votes to to, to be able to. Granted, he's, he's leading the polls and all kind of stuff like that. So you don't think you don't think Biden's going to be the nominee? I think he'll be the nominee, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. When oh, it comes down to the real to the real election. I mean. It- Interesting. I, mean, I think the other two, the, because he's so far, I mean, he's so far apart from everybody else. I mean, he is more of a centrist. Everybody else is so far to the left. I mean, it's like they're falling off the, the flat earth, you know. So, I mean, you know, and, and I'm not sure, I don't yeah. think he's going to be a Republican challenger. I, I don't oh, know. no, no. They're, they're, no, that, that ship has sailed, too. Well, thanks. I mean, look, I, I, it, I, I don't know. I, I guess if you had to ask me to predict now who's going to win. The Democratic nomination, I would predict Joe Biden, um, but but he, he's he's the hunted guy now because everybody on the left is out there and they they've already pressured into him into changing his stance on federal funding for abortions, a stance that he's maintained for the last forty years. So who knows as he moves further and further to the left? Troy in Sturgeon Bay. Hi, Troy. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm one of those uh, people in the middle here that. Mm-hmm. I like to uh, phrase, I'm not the lunatic to the left, and I'm not a hard guy to the right like like our leader is. But I personally will not vote for him. I didn't vote for him last time. The personal character that our president had, he, has, he was in the end of the line when that came out. And, you know, a caller previous said, you know, you got to be stern when you're a business person. Yeah, but you know what? You have to be a character person, too. And that's why he's turned off so many people on that. A lot. Of, there's some, some good things he's done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as far as Okay, let me ask you this: what What if, what if the Democrats, the, what if when we let's talk about the binary choice, you know, because you're going to have to decide: do I vote for President Trump or do I vote for somebody else? What if that somebody else turns out to be, you know, an avowed socialist from the far left wing of the Democratic Party, and that that's not an unthinkable thing, All right? In that case, do you still? What do you do? Well, then, I, I I think you said before you think Biden will be the the choice. I do, yeah. And, uh, so I don't think he's what the example you're talking about. Nope. I think I think in you know three years ago, if if Biden or uh, Paul Ryan would have ran for presidency, I think either one of those guys would have beat Trump hands down. Just because I think the character mm-hmm. that they have, which I'm not just voting yeah. something on character, but I'm voting on. Our leader haven't. Okay, Troy, I'm not going to let you off the hook. The, the Democratic right. nominee. It's November of 2020. Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, and Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is the Democrat nominee, and the vice presidential choice is uh, Alexandria Ortez Ocasio or Cortez. Okay, who you who you pulling that lever for? You know, you know, that's a rock between a rock and a hard spot. I I know what you're saying. I'm just, uh, I would have to learn more about Fair Elizabeth enough. Warren. I don't think she'll get there, but I can, I think you know where I'm coming from as far as 
I, I, to wait and see, but if things were even today, I, I don't see myself. Uh, Fair enough. Okay, good enough. Thank, and again, I, I mean, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of where people are. Hey, there's a text. Hey, Jeff, I am a 44 year old black Democrat, and I voted for Trump in 2016, and I will vote for him again. I am shocked at how he conducts his business, but it's always been about what he promised. Um, he did not lie, so yes. He gets my vote. Um, no way. Here's another one. No way am I voting for Trump again. He's an embarrassment. He's done nothing to rein in health insurance companies or medical costs, etc., etc. There's nothing appealing about Trump to me, and I will vote for almost anyone else right of Bernie Sanders. Okay. Well, I guess the question becomes: What if? What if? What if there isn't anybody right of Bernie Sanders? It's going to be a fascinating time, and this is a this is just a great time to have a job like this. It's Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. 66 degrees outside. All right. I'm about to say something extremely controversial. Mark the tape there, Gru. I like peanut butter sandwiches, and I don't think there's anything wrong with eating them. I, I There it is. I, I've said it. I like peanut. Matter of fact, peanut butter sandwiches and occasionally peanut butter and jelly. But I like peanut butter sandwiches, period. That occasionally is sort of one of my go-to comfort foods, you know? Um, you're, you're in the house by yourself. There's not that much around. My lovely and beautiful wife is out doing one of the things that she does. You, know, you don't trust me in the kitchen, but I need something. I'm too lazy to go across to a fast food place. Peanut butter and occasionally a jelly sandwich. That's a go-to. I don't feel shamed. I don't feel embarrassed. That's what I eat. I bring this up because in Cudahy, and this is according to Channel 12 News, in Cudahy, there has apparently been a crisis and I would describe this crisis perhaps as a as a solution looking for a problem. But but here's here's the deal. And it starts with one parent who starts complaining about this. All right, Cudahy, the Cudahy School District is like many school districts where um, for the hot lunch program, you put money in the kid's account and then the kid draws down on that. Right. And so we've talked about this before. What inevitably happens is on various occasions, um, there's no money in the account. So the, the kid shows up. They don't take cash for whatever reasons, doesn't have a bag lunch. And mom and dad, all right, they haven't put money in the account in most cases after being notified on multiple occasions. But they haven't done it. So the kid shows up, doesn't have money in the account. Well, okay, I hope you're sitting down. Because here's what the Cudahy School District has been doing in those situations. Kid shows up, no money in the account. They don't give them the full hot lunch. Oh, yes, they they don't give them the full hot lunch. What they do is they give them a peanut butter sandwich and a milk. They give them a peanut butter sandwich and a milk. Nobody's giving me a peanut butter sandwich right now at lunch, but they give the kid a peanut butter sandwich. They send him on his way. Well... Okay, one of the parents gets bent out of shape about this and says, goes on TV and says, well, I, this is this is terrible. There is this huge stigma which attaches to kids who have the alternative lunch. It's lunch shaming. We have good members of our district, good members of the board, but it is shaming a child. So the one parent complains, and then you have all the members of the Cudahy School Board who freak out. They say, well... 
I, you know, we, we just we just didn't know. Um, you know, we, we just didn't know this was a policy before and nobody's ever thought about it. But but, you know, this is an easy decision. Here's what we're going to do. We're just we are going to they're going to vote on this next month. But at least the preliminary thing was unanimous. We will let the lunch balances accrue. We will let the kids get lunch for free. And then we'll worry about how we're going to collect the money later on. I mean, maybe we'll we'll send the accounts into collections. Maybe we'll just eat the costs. But, you know, we'll, we'll do something instead of just giving the child a peanut butter sandwich. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I admit this conversation makes my, my head want to explode. I mean, first of all, for you taxpayers down in Cudahy, I don't think that you should have to subsidize kids who have the money to pay or whose parents have the money to pay. Because we're not talking about free lunches here. You know, we're not we're talking about kids whose parents have the money to pay. I don't think, first of all, all the rest of you should be subsidizing free lunches for the kids whose parents are too lazy or too punched out or whatever to put money in their account. That's number one. Number two, the idea of just letting kids run up balances and then we'll figure this out later on. I mean, maybe we'll send this to collections or something. I mean, give me a break. Do you that that that's do do you really want to be letting it get to that stage that you have to bring in collection people and then pay a chunk of money to them? But third, and the bigger point is I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with eating eating a peanut butter sandwich i don't think that that's i don't think that that's a problem it's i mean look my guess is a lot of those kids skip lunch and a lot of their parents skip lunch to begin with i don't think there's anything wrong with giving a kid a peanut butter sandwich i don't think that's lunch shaming and by the way my guess is a good portion of the kids who bring bag lunches you know what you find in those bag lunches? You probably find peanut butter or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Hi Mark. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. You know, the first thing is uh there is no reason a kid should have to sit there and suffer just because their parent isn't catching up with the the lunch balance. How is the kid suffering? No problem- because they don't get to eat a real full lunch. They get a they get a, uh, a they get a peanut sandwich. butter sandwich. I mean, yeah, they get that, a peanut butter a, sandwich. That's not a real lunch, in my opinion. I mean, it, it might be fine for a snack, but it's just empty carbs in the first place. It's just what white well, bread and some peanut butter. Well, that's what do you, Mark? Mark do you, Mark, do you want to you want to guess about how many of the kids who are bringing bag lunches have peanut butter or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in their lunches? I mean, I. But that's that's their choice to make. It's not one that they're being forced to do. And the other point that I would want to raise is we give credit away in this country to anyone for anything for any reason. You're telling me we can't just let their balance go negative on credit and then just either don't let them graduate until the parent squares up the balance or, or do what you have to do to collect that negative balance. But at the end of the day, if the kid's going through the lunch line and, oh, oh there's not money there, they should still be able to eat a lunch. There's well, no they get a lunch. They get a peanut butter. They, they get they get a peanut butter sandwich. If the kid goes across to McDonald's and doesn't have money, should the McDonald's should they give him the food? Well, that's different because uh, McDonald's isn't a public education service. Well, but okay, but 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 who? So so the taxpayers should do for the kid what McDonald's wouldn't do for the kid. No, I'm not saying that at sure all. Sure, you I'm are. You're saying, saying give them the free money. Pay a penny for it. 
No, the, they still owe that money. That's the difference. When you go out and get a credit card and you make an agreement that you're going to pay that back, you owe that money. I don't think anybody's going to go into bankruptcy over a negative school lunch account. Well, but what happens is, when they don't pay? I mean, at some point in time, they're, they're, you turn it over to collections. You just At some point in time, you don't make your payments on your credit card. What are they going to do? They're going to take your credit card away. Do you just let the kid show up day after day and get the free lunches and then you know they owe a few hundred dollars or whatever they're going to do i mean you just let them keep doing that well i i think that maybe you should have at least some type of limit on how hmm. negative it can go well, but the fact is that even if it's it's a few times or something no kid should be paying the price and i guess it's just an opinion you are paying a, a price when you sit there and eat just a, a peanut butter sandwich that doesn't count as a real meal that's not I, healthy and our kids deserve better we uh, can do that uh, mark i think <laughs> that, all right i think that that comment mark i think that's probably news to a lot of parents out there who you know what okay your kids are home for the summer my guess is that a lot of kids are getting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and maybe some potato chips and a thing of milk. My my guess is that a lot of kids are doing that, and that's just the, the way we operate here. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, here's the bottom line of all this. Do I think there needs to be some wiggle room? And if you're deficient, like two or three dollars, do, do you carry the kid? All right, that that might be it. But this idea that oh no, we're just you know, we're going to give you free lunches, and then we'll worry about how we're going to try to collect. Then why in the world would anybody pay? 414-799-1620. But, again, the, the, this larger thing, I reject this notion that, oh, giving somebody a peanut butter sandwich for their lunch, oh, this is terrible, and this is the idea of lunch shaming when I think a lot of us grew up eating peanut butter and perhaps jelly sandwiches. I still eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch, and I don't feel particularly deprived. We're back with more calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, my kid ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day of his high school career. He turned out just fine. The school system is not obligated to do more than uh, that. Uh, let's see. Uh, that, here's another one. Jeff, just, just be, I want to, I want to read this. I want to read this exactly as it comes in here because, uh, let's see, it's Jeff, just because you are odd and like to eat peanut butter, jelly, and sandwiches doesn't mean that we should do it to, just because you're odd and eat peanut butter sandwiches for lunch doesn't mean it's normal and a sufficient lunch. I'd be hungry an hour after eating. Okay, have we really gotten to that point in America in 2019 where like a peanut butter or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich makes you odd? I mean, isn't that kind of like the standard lunch? And by the way, have you ever been in a school lunchroom and you watch what gets put on the kids' plates and then you watch what goes into the trash can? Oh, we gave them a vegetable, but they're not liking carrots, so boom, they throw that away. And oh, we gave them a peach, but they won't eat a peach. Boom, that goes away. We'll gnaw on the piece of pizza. I mean, really? Come on. 414-799-1620. Angela in St. Francis. Angela, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi um, I love your show, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Even uh, though I'm odd because I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Oh, I, know. I, I eat peanut butter and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> all the time myself. I actually, I'll actually buy Encrustables and take them to work with. There you me. go. So you know, they're simple and it's easy and it's a great food. But my stepdaughter actually goes to Cudahy. She's been going to Cudahy since elementary school. And we've never had an issue with the lunches and the lunch program that they have there. They offer discounted lunch rates for yep. students that 
don't have the income or for the families that don't have income or even free lunches for families that don't have income. Right. Yeah. See, and, I'm glad you said that, Angela, because that's an important point. This discussion, we are not talking about kids whose parents don't have the ability to pay. This, so this isn't that. This is people who have the ability to pay and the parents just choose not to. Yeah. And they also, they actually, because my stepdaughter, there's been times like we have her off and on, we're fifty-fifty custody with her. Um, every every week we pay. Every other week we pay twenty bucks. We give her twenty bucks for lunch. So every other week we give her twenty bucks. Right. Uh, the opposite week, her mom gives her twenty dollars for lunch. But if there's a week that we actually do forget, because it happens, you know, um, they don't just stop lunch. They allow her to go a full week with regular meals if she chooses to right. without having to go to that peanut butter sandwich and after that week they notify you and tell right. you that you're negative right. so, so it, you have that week to basically get caught up with your overdues yeah you know before they switch you to that peanut butter sandwich right. and that does not and, strike me as an unreasonable thing i understand if if it if it's just okay if the lunch is 250 you have a dollar in your account now you're dollar 50 negative yeah i mean i get it you want to do that but at the same time the idea of the the school then having to turn into collection agents or whatever and track down parents for what could be tens or hundreds of dollars, and you know they're going to end up writing most of that off, and it means the rest of the taxpayers are going to pick up the tab. I, exactly. I don't get it. Or the, the student fees and the registration fees and all that are going to go up. I disagree with the fact that I think that a peanut butter sandwich is efficient for a lunch. They give you a milk or right. something to go with it, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. You're, it's completely feasible. I no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, if if we started a lunch program here and they gave me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a thing of milk or coffee or whatever, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, no, no, and, thanks. And that's how I feel. I think that you know, it's if it's for people that have the money and are able to pay and they choose not to, then it's kind of like it's not shaming the child so much. It's like once you're in high school, especially children yes. know. And, you know, they can approach their parents or whatever if they feel that, right. you know, they're ashamed at lunch for eating a peanut butter sandwich. Say, hey, can I, you know, can I... Hey, mom and dad, get off your butt. Yeah. You're supposed to put 20 bucks in the account. I had to, they gave me a yeah. peanut butter and jelly sandwich What kind of today. chores do you want me to do to make sure that I, you know, get fed... You know, I'm, I'm there. Lunch. No, thanks so. for calling. I mean, I, I appreciate the perspective. I have a text here from Denise who says, Jeff... Here's the reality. Most kids' homemade lunches have peanut butter sandwiches. By the way, it's probably healthier than the nachos that they are serving. Yeah, she's, she has a point there, you know, as well. Jeff, another text. The school board represents the downfall of American society. Well, I don't want to take it that far, but it, it's this, this idea that, okay, this is lunch shaming. You know, that we have to, all right, that, that you have these little snowflakes and their psyche is going to be absolutely and totally scarred if if they show up and they end up getting that peanut butter and jelly sandwich because, you know, mom and dad have gone for more than a week without putting money into their account. At what point in time does it become the problem of mom and dad to look out for their kids? And, and look, I mean, maybe, again, I'm I just I took a bag lunch to school almost every day of my school career. And you know what? It had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in it and it survived. And I never felt that I was shamed by, hey, what did I have today? Oh, I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I got some potato chips. All right. My mom was a pretty good mom. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa who, by the way, big winners of an Edward R. Murrow Award. That is a very big deal. We'll find out what they and Greg have on their agenda this afternoon. Please stick around.